Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this show, we use the eight steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master to prepare for my Sunday role-playing game. In this case, I am running a homebrew game in using Numenera uh, by Monty Cook Games. Numenera is an excellent high fantasy, science fantasy RPG by Monty Cook uh, and Monty Cook Games. I love this system to death. I love the world a lot. And we are now into a, a homebrew campaign that I am running in this for my Sunday group. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. To the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for supporting shows like this. If you want to help support shows like this, you can become a patron of Sly Flourish. The link is in the show notes below. Patrons get access to all kinds of exclusive material, exclusive adventures, a new city source book called The City of Arches, and other tools to help make your role-playing games all the better. So to the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you very much for uh, supporting the show. So... Oh boy, what's going on? Lots of fun. So they finished out their, I'm trying to, boy, you know, like so much happens and so much. Let's let's take a look at like the previous show notes. So back on 6 February, oh yeah, th this is good. I kept some thoughts about issue, problems, issues that I had when I was running the game and I wrote them down. So we can talk about them, figure them out. In the last session of the game, they battled the Lados Junked down in some ruins beneath the city. So I ended on a cliffhanger where they were fighting a big thing. It was really good. It took us a little bit of time to get through the mechanics of combat in Numenera and combat with the Cypher system. It is really smooth once you get it, but there's still kind of an understanding of how effort and edge plays out, how to burn your, your pools, when to burn your pools, things like that. You know, when you have a power that you have an ability that uses so much effort to do, but then you subtract your you subtract your edge from it, then sometimes it's free, stuff like that. So it took us a fair bit. It took us some time to figure out like which kind of ciphers can you use and how do they work when you when you use them in combat, stuff like that. So there was a fair bit of us figuring six players, right? So we have a fair number of players. And but it was cool and fun. And I think we all I think we all got interested in it. Well, you know, I'm I'm probably gonna take a break at today's game and say like how we feel about cypher are we happy because i'm not sure everybody adores it's it's hard you know i i like it a lot but like you know i'm the dm and or gm and so it'd be interesting to see how players how players dig it and where where do they think it's falling down so it'll be interesting to see and that might tell us about how long a campaign we're actually going to run here because i really have no idea how long we're going to run it so they fought the Lados adjunct and then they made their way back up to the surface and we had some really fun scenes where they met the holographic projection of the arms and armor dealer. The idea there was they, they started referring to it as Amazon, Am Amazon, right? They go up to Amazon and Amazon, the AI would show up and say, what kind of stuff would you like? And they say, like, I can show it to you as a hologram or you can, you, you know, you can uh, data cast in and see it for yourself, which is like when Neo goes to the matrix and all the rows of guns show up, right? And so they went there and only it was like a plateau with all these racks of stuff. And it was like, you'd open up a drawer and there's a bunch of knives and you'd start like scrolling through the knives. It's like, there must be a thousand different knives in here, right? And then you could kind of pick one and then, and it would be delivered to you, right? Like if somebody, somebody would come by like, here's your, here's your knife. So it was sort of like, it, yeah, like, like, you know, Amazon for, for, for Numenera, which was fun, but it also clued people into the data sphere and they spent a fair bit of time there and they liked it enough that when they were offered these different jobs, because I, I kind of cut things short a little bit. 
And I said, like, okay, you know, I did what I was just talking about in the previous show, which is like, I want to know where they're going next. So I said, let's just jump forward. And you meet Terrence the Explorer. And Terrence says, hey, there's these three different things that you could do. Which one of these do you want to do? And they said, we want to jack into the data sphere of this weird uh, canister that's filled with nanobites to try to figure out nanobots, to try to figure out what it is and where it came from and what it's doing, right? So that's where they ended up picking it up. But it was a fair bit. They, they had a good time with the battle. They crawled their way out. They, they, they discovered that there was this broken Numenera device down in that chamber and that it was basically impossible for them to fix it. I'm now getting an idea about what that thing might be and recognizing that like them fixing that might become a, a key piece of this storyline. And what I think, I think that that is a vertice, that, that that object is a vertice that allows somebody to be drawn into the data sphere, right? And there's gonna be a couple different like jacking into the matrix kind of events going on here. So that all worked. Some of the things that came up that were tricky for us was like, how much are ciphers worth? Like, it makes sense that you'd be able to sell a cipher, right? There's, there's some, I, I was kind of doing some homework on it and, and there was some, some talk about like the things are too rare and too weird that you can't really sell them. Nobody's really willing to buy them because they're kind of strange things and, and you can't really sell them. And I was like, yeah, but then like, that doesn't make much sense. Like it makes more sense that of course you'd be able to sell them, but how much are they worth? Like how many shins are they worth? Right? Like what? And that's, that's kind of tricky. So I, I, I made a number up, but I don't really have a good gauge on that. Right. And and that's something. How does aiding another work? If you have, uh, and I we think we I think we figured this out. But if one person is sort of using their action to help somebody else, what does that do? And I think the answer is like one a, a person can help somebody else by by using their action to do so. And when they do, it lowers the difficulty a step. But you can't you can't drop like everybody can't lower it. You can't say like, we're going to have all six of us do it. And it lowers it six steps, right? Because six steps is enormous. So you can only do the, you only get the benefit of that once, right? But, but somebody can help you. And I think it's sort of like D and D. Um, I think it's sort of like D and D that anybody can generally help you. You don't need to be skilled. But of course I think the GM is, is free to say like, look, if you don't understand Numenera, if you don't have anything that tells you anything about Numenera, you can't help the person fix the Numenera thing. Right. Then we, we, a question came up for our group on how to handle experience points, right? How did we want to deal with it? And I think we came, I, I, I was loose with it. I didn't, I didn't make any like formal proclamations, but I did bring up the idea that like they should generally expect that they're going to pick up experience points during the session through GM intrusions. And they're going to get experience points for succeeding with their goals, Right on the order of like two to four experience points for, for succeeding on a goal. And generally speaking, I think it works better if the experience points that one earns through, through succeeding with goals is what they use to get permanent up, upgrades, right? And the experience points that they earn through GM intrusions should be used for temporary things, like either a temporary bonus for a specific situation or a reroll, uh, or other other things that you can use. There, there's this idea of player intrusions, which is new to me, right? I'll talk about what, what intrusions are, right? Uh, there's this idea that like there's player intrusions, which are sort of like their way to use experience points to do a thing. So I think what we've kind of came to is I, I recommended to all of the players that they separate their experience points into two groups, temporary and permanent. And they build up the permanent ones to level, to kind of level up their characters, to go up tiers and get new abilities. And they keep the temporary ones around to do temporary stuff like player intrusions, 
re-rolls and other other things that they can do with temporary experience points that are sort of like one-offs and one-shots. So I think we're going to try that. I needed more ciphers. I forgot that I had this technology compendium, Sir Arthur's Guide to the Numenera, which has, look at that. There's That's like a H.R. Giger picture right there. And it is, this is an older book. This came out very quickly after Numenera came out. But it is a massive set of tables of, of ciphers, I think somewhere in here, right? Massive sets, yeah, like many tables. I think for the ciphers, there are five tables, right? And then each of those has a hundred items. So now we've got 500 different possible ciphers. So I think I'm good with like, I'm gonna start using this for ciphers. You can use the main book for ciphers, but I'm gonna like rotate in ciphers from other places because it turns out 100 is not really a lot when you're earning a lot of them. So we figured that out. And then, yeah, so talk about GM intrusion. So so a GM intrusion, so a, a GM in Numenera does not roll dice. Only the players roll dice. And they roll dice based on trying to meet challenges. And the occasionally, instead of rolling dice, a GM will complicate a situation, right? They'll, they'll complicate a situation in the narrative. They'll say something, something happens, right? Something makes it harder. And then they'll, they'll, they'll hand two experience points over to the player whose character's lives are complicating. The player takes those two experience points and takes one of those and hands it to another player and says, you're involved in this mess too, right? Drags their character in, but they also get an experience point right? And it's through that use of experience points. And then they can use those. They can, they can also say, no, they can deny the complication. They have some agency to say, I don't think that happens. And, and, they, and they pass on it. So it's, it's almost like making a deal, right? I actually don't, don't really like the, I don't really like the, the term GM intrusion because it makes it feel like you're breaking the game, right? But generally it's like something gets harder, but in the, you know, it's like a compelling fate. It's exactly like a compelling fate. You're, you're pushing a character towards a thing, but you're giving them a benefit to do so. And that benefit's pretty good because like that 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 experience point they get, they could re-roll a die roll, right? They, so they can they can like lower steps and everything like that and then fail and then roll again, which is a big deal. And they, I don't think they, they, they cannot choose to do it solo and keep both experience points. I think they have to bring another, they have to bring another player in. They have to spend that other experience points because not everybody would just hoard it. So so they definitely have to hang on to it. But it, it's really an opportunity for the GM to just kind of like shake up, a, shake up a situation. And I used it a lot more in the last session and I found them pretty intuitive. Like it, it kind of worked out. You're mainly looking for areas where it would make sense. I try to think about like, where could this story get more complicated? What, you know, I'm not dicking with the characters, right? I'm, I'm, I'm saying to myself like, Given this situation, what might make it harder, right? What What's something that could happen that reasonably could happen that could make this situation harder? And then you offer experience points for that, right? And then they can use those experience points for these player intrusions, which are like good things that their characters can do. That was something that's new in Numenera Discovery. That's something I, I wasn't familiar with. And, and they can use it for other stuff too. So the other one is you generally only do it per one character one time per session. So you're not nailing the same character over and over again. You're generally only doing it probably like two or three times a session. And it's always to different characters. So that way they're not hoarding a bunch of experience points for that for that either. So that, that you know, getting used to that is, is interesting. And I think there's a whole source book. I think that there's a Monty Cook Games put out a whole source book about intrusions that just talk about how to do them. It's a seven-page quick book by Monty Cook called Taking the Narrative by the Tail, GM Intrusions and Special Effects. And it talks about like, you know, it, it dives into this more. And I think it dives into this more because it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to get your head around, right? It's a hard idea. And, you know, 
talks about what they are, what they are not, you know, and then offers a lot of examples of different kinds of GM intrusions that kind of get your idea. So good, a good, good handy book for figuring out, figuring out how GM intrusions work. And I think they took some of the material from this and it's in, I think in Numenera Discovery, they have more about how to handle GM intrusions so that to help GMs figure that out. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little, it's a bit, it's a bit of trickery. So the characters during their, during their job, they met Kim Lee, the first, the first herald of the fourth emperor, the explorer who found a similar canister to the one that Terence the Explorer wanted the characters to explore, right? That was, this secret came out. Kim Lee found the canister out near the acidic portals. I need a better name for the acidic portals, by the way. Kimley opened the nanite canister soon afterward, began to preach about the, the return of the fourth emperor. That happened. Kimley doesn't appear to be a danger to himself or others, so the town folk of Baudrav leave her to be. McKenna the Angular Knight, words that did not come up. The Angular Knight did not show up. Celestial object or the planet? No. Little is known about the fourth age, but some ancient lore describes an otherworldly being that ruled all over all life on the planet for nearly a million years and then disappeared along with most everything over which it ruled. That I think did come out. I'm not sure. We'll keep that one. Pieces of the artifact of the adjunct tried to fix are a piece of very advanced data sphere interface, right? I'm adding that. The fourth emperor is said to exist across worlds simultaneously. That's kind of cool. Entire civilizations have existed and may still exist beneath the waves. Captain Aramis Greystone sought to discover these worlds until something destroyed his vessel. That did come up. So again, about half the secrets got revealed, about half didn't. That's par for the course. And so that so when they, they were walking around, they met Kimley. Kimley is this explorer. I have a picture of her right she walked by and she started preaching about the fourth the fourth emperor the 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 fourth emperor right and that he's coming back right that all this stuff is is happening and one of the characters is actually of a race that had existed back during the fourth age right she's sort of an insectoid like race so she's familiar she's not familiar with it but she knows like oh yeah like our, our race supposedly came back from that time so I think there's a lot of fun angles in there. And so I, I now have a character hook that definitely pulls, uh, a character hook to, to, to tug on. So they met her. They saw that she was affected. They, they heard about it. And I think they actually tried to convince her, like, you know, the fourth, the fourth age was not a good age, right? That was not good stuff. And she like got confused. They succeeded really heavily on this kind of persuasion check, right? Not really a persuasion check, but they did an intellect intellect role and they succeeded and she she like went back and she sneezed and like a pool of black nanites kind of came out you know and they're like uh oh all right no like she's changed right and then they went and talked to terrence and found out that yeah she had gone and explored the acid pools and when she was there she came back with a canister but she was all very confused and discombobulated apparently she had found another one and opened it and then and she brought back a sealed one and he's like i we need to know what this stuff is we don't know what it is right and so he said you can either go out to the acid pools and find out what she found out there you can jack into the data sphere that's surrounding this canister the canister has a, a numenera interface and there's you know you can you can connect to it and learn about what's in there or if you don't want to do any of that there's this mad there's this crazy sword made out of water that's apparently off of the coast and they said uh we're gonna go let's jack into the the, the data sphere right so they kind of liked they kind of like that so that that is where that is where they decided to go and where we're going to start. So let's get a new session template going. Again, uh, we're using Notion for all of our campaign planning today. If you uh, dig what you're seeing with Notion uh, in the show notes below, you can see all kinds of information about using Notion for your campaign prep. You can also get access to this notebook. So 
First step, review the characters. We have six characters. Biko, the intuitive Jack who rides the lightning, played by Pat. We have Cecilia, the graceful Jack who wields power with precision, played by Sharon. We have Jad, the shade, a meddlesome Jack who exists partly out of phase, played by Joe. We have Juniper, Juniper the cheerful Nano who possesses a shard of the sun, played by Juliet. We have Nakia, the beneficent Jack, beneficent Jack who acts without consequence, played by Jerry. And we have Sam G1138L, a protective glaive who fuses flesh and steel. We're still getting to know, like we've only had one full session with the characters, so we're still getting to learn a lot about the characters. I don't have a lot of big hooks yet, but we're still, we're still kind of figuring that out. So as strong starts go, I think... I think it might be fun to introduce. So where where does it start? Probably like coffee with the explorer, with Terence the explorer, while looking at the nanite canister, understanding the data sphere, and I think we're going to have the arrival of the somewhat sinister. McKenna, the Angulan Knight. I think I'd like to introduce her. I think that'd be kind of a fun. McKenna, the Angulan Knight shows up. So I think that that would be kind of fun. A big question is like the nomen understanding the nomenclature, the nomenclature of data, of the data sphere. And a couple of big ones is that you are, what is it called? So a uh, cool bit is since I know that they're going into this place, we have this whole like Voices of the Datasphere book that they put, 162 page book that they uh, put out that just talks about this stuff. And there's a glossary in the back. We're not gonna go through all of this thing. Data scribing, transcribing from the real to the Datasphere is called data scribing. Real scribing is coming from the Datasphere back into the world. We have, I'm only picking a couple of these, a vertice, vertice, uh, a place where one uh, accesses the data sphere. I think that's an important, a lot of these, uh, a node, a large data space, node may be one continuous space or consists of multiple connected. So the node is the space. So we have all this like cyberpunk stuff going on, right? So cool. All right. So they're going to learn about data sphere stuff. Unimportant, and, and some of these can be secrets and clues. So like one of the secrets and clues is that there are many ways to access the data sphere. You can just talk to it on some sort of tablet or screen or hologram or whatever. You can transfer, not transfer, but you can transfer your mental consciousness into the data sphere which leaves your body your body behind you can fully data scribe in which your physical body disappears and is transferred into the data sphere completely that is a long clue yeah that's okay it's really one big thing right some other data sphere clues that we have is no one really knows how the data sphere works or where it is. 
the data sphere crosses multiple ages, however, surviving even full extinction events, right? So it's crossed over. The data sphere is one of the things that has that has crossed over multiple multiple ages. There are very powerful, some believe, let's make it rumor, right? Some believe there are very powerful godlike entities inside the data sphere called voices. Some think so the, you get into the fun part of like some believe if they fully, what is it called? They describe in their body is destroyed and only a copy remains. But who can tell? Like this is that Kirk Spock. If you go into the transporter, are you not just disintegrating Kirk and creating a super clone of Kirk at that moment? right? Is your actual consciousness just obliterated? Is your actual, is your actual consciousness obliterated? Who could say nodes in the data sphere can be isolated or part of the greater whole? Do we need any other data sphere lore? So we need some fourth age stuff, right? The emperor of the fourth age used the data sphere in its quest for ultimate power. Part of it lived in the data sphere as well as physically. The emperor, I have an emperor, the fourth age, the fourth emperor used nanobots to build and control its subjects for million for over for a million years some other fun things that i'm thinking about the fourth the fourth emperor changed the environment of the world to better support its its physical presence, which included large amounts, which included filling the environment with methane, right? So it became almost inhospitable. Like it, it completely geoengineered geo the world. I think that that is cool. The fourth emperor isn't from, isn't from this world, but, and maybe not even from this universe. Some think it come it came from the outside by the way i have a picture Does, do we want to see a picture of the fourth emperor i have a picture of the fourth emperor i found one that's the fourth emperor eldmore a level nine dimension traveling destroyers that arose in a distant parallel dimension that is the fourth emperor yeah Cool. I found that. That was in the uh, the book Into the Outside. And I was like, I want that. That's going to be my fourth emperor. So I've got a stat block. So that's pretty good. One, two, three, four, five, six. I got one more secret. We're going to hang on to that. So now, so so a big question is like, how is this going to go? So they're going to, they're, 
what are they what are they trying to do, right? If we think about their the the big scene, they have understanding and then entering the canister data sphere. I can't spell canister. I can't spell anything. They have to have a goal, right? And what's their goal? Learn. So is their goal to try to save the woman, learn what's in it? Why are they there, right? What do they want to go in? So a goal could be learn of the nanobots of the fourth emperor. Save, what's her name? Save Kimley. That could be an option. Let's see, I have to put her in the... That could be an option. What what other? What did I? What did I? <laughs> when I when I offered the quest and they took it, what did I? What did I expect that they were going to do? Recovered a canister from another job, sealed and filled with swarming nanites. There's a data sphere interface. Terence is worried uh, he wouldn't make it out if he went in alone. Get into the data sphere and learn more about what these nanites are, and enter an avian world. That was our from our role. So I think I think that that could be good. But then the question is, okay, well, what will they learn when they're there? So they might learn all of this stuff. So what is the canister is a, a question, right? So that's their goal. Learn about the nanites. What What is it? Is it, what are these nanites? Are they just mind controlling things? Do they, can they build a, can they build creatures? You know, so he, we know that the fourth emperor used nanites to make stuff, probably to control people, but also to build things. I mean, nanites can do all kinds of stuff, right? So, what would what would he use them for? Is it is 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 it like part part data sphere, right? That's a good question. And then, what will they traverse while they are in there? What is this? What is this place? What does this place look like? And how do they? And how do they get through it? And what kind of things do they face? These are all important things that we need to figure out. We will probably create a new location. And I thought I saw, I don't know if it was in Voices of the Data Sphere, but we're gonna create a new location. The canister of the fourth emperor. Is it the canister? The canister of the fourth age, right? And I think, was it in Voices of the Data Sphere? It was a picture I, I saw and I was like, oh, that's really cool. Look at that. That's that's sweet. Yeah, there we go. Right? This looks like something they might see. So we're going to snap that. And we're going to paste that into my fourth age canister. So the interesting thing about, so it's the node, right? The interesting thing when you build out a node is that uh, a node is actually very similar to a dungeon. You have halls and you have rooms and you have doors. They just, they're just called different things. And they're sort of like metaphorical uh, constructs, right? For, for traveling through, they're just metaphorical constructs for, for traveling through an area. And we need to build them here. So we could think, like, why don't we, you know, let's, let's go to my man Dyson and let's just see if there's a map that we can steal that we could use as a metaphorical, uh, a, a meta metaphorical, you know, no. So like, this isn't so bad, right? You could, you could almost have something like that, you know, sort of interconnection. This one's kind of cool. It's a little bit big. We'll just, we'll just open a few of these and see what we got. And then we have to figure out like, well, what's in them? Like, how does, how does, you know, what are they, when they're traversing these things, what do they find? 
Uh, this one's kind of interesting if you remove this wild part. Although, I don't know, maybe you could do something like that. When you have this sort of like metaphysical, metaphorical thing, it's kind of hard to, you know, it's kind of hard to describe it, right? But I, I kind of like this, right? It's It's got a neat shape. Parts of it are broken because like the thing is very old. So, so like we're looking at this and we're like, wait a minute, we're looking at like a dungeon map. How the hell is that? the interface of a data sphere node, right? And you're like, well, this is how it works, right? Like you st you start in a location, like maybe you start at this broken area here and it's open, right? This this area is open. They can see they can see what's going on, but they can see that there's only certain paths that they can take. And they can see that there's parts of it that are broken down and then other parts of it that are still strong. And as they navigate this, they are learning information about what's inside of their they're learning about what's inside of this of this canister. Learn, learning information that they'd be picking up from the secrets and clues. So we're gonna we're gonna grab that, right? And imagine like so it's these sort of places, right? They can sort of see it, but but the layout is is similar to the layout that's in the map. That didn't work. Copy image. Let's just save it to the desk. There we go. So instead of filling out, we're not gonna fill it out room by room. I think I'm gonna build like a list, right? of the kinds of things that they would find in these chambers. And we can use, I think, I think, you know, so we're actually using the book. I think that there is a good list in here. It's kind of interesting. You know, that's the hard part. Then I also need creatures, like like weird things that they, that they face in here. We have glitches. You got crafts. I'm not going to worry about crafts. Definitely a big influence from Tron, by the way, in this. Like that's something and they've got, they've got ciphers and all that, but there was a, they actually are using like the node generator. They're using the same map. They're using the same like map generator that they used in Jade Colossus, which I thought was kind of interesting. Really cool descriptions of different kinds of environments that they could go to, you know, like th there's a bunch of example nodes and they're, they're pretty cool. It's a, it's a neat book. The voices of the data sphere is a pretty neat, pretty neat book here I think is the features right so we can roll on a few of these but I think this is these are kind of for each of the the whole frame is like something frame qualities there's your frame creatures this is kind of cool I, I would have hoped for a bigger list of, of this kind of thing so what are, are there any that, are there any that I want to kind of, that I know I want to drop in? I don't think I want to show them what the fourth emperor looks like. One could be a holographic sphere of the world during the, during the fourth age, right? That could be something that they would, they would see and discover. One could be a history from the perspective of a servile version of of Cecilia, of Cecilia's race, that kind of proclaims that you know the joy of serving you know probably the, the joy of serving the fourth emperor right, you know that that would be a cool one. Let's where's my we can use sort of let's, let's get get my dice out. We're gonna roll on my table because I like my table because I made it and I know it works. So fourteen, they might run into a furnace. Be a, a data furnace. That's kind of an interesting thing. I don't know what that would be like. Let's see what origin uh, origin is. Tentacled furnace, of course. Fifteen. A cracked tentacled furnace. That's cool. Condition is uh, thirteen. 
whispering. So what does that mean? Well, it could be like a hole in the data sphere, right? Like there's a, like a, like a nanobyte construct, right? I kind of like that. This is an area where the nanobytes are, are kind of built and, and maybe they do, you know, so if the fourth emperor used these things, nom nom data nom, yep. If the fourth emperor was using, maybe the, the fourth emperor used nanites in a, a lot of different ways, right? So how did they, fourth emperor used nanites in lots of ways, including mind control, physical construction, deadly weapons, right? Geotransformation, data sphere propagation. What other, I mean, God, you could, you know, you can do anything with them, but there's probably things that, that worked better. I think those are probably pretty good. Canister of the Fourth Age. What else? I need more, more stuff, more stuff to discover here. Let's roll some more dice. They discover, we can either go for a location or a monument. Four is either Academy or a floating cube. Floating cube works well. And then I need a third D20 down here. So I'm gonna go grab a third D20. It is uh, ten, shadowed, broken, six, that's a six. Insectoid, that makes sense. I don't know what an insectoid floating cube is like, but I think that works. Weird things to find. One, old bones, 16. Nano-laced bones, makes sense. Five, golden nano-laced bones. Seven, tentacled again. Yeah, I'm gonna roll again. I already did tentacle. Plant-based. Plant-based. Is that what I did? I miss an, did I miss a thing there? Nano-laced. Golden. That was my golden plant-based nano-laced old bones. Interesting. GM intrusions. Yes, I am doing those through improvisation. When it feels right, I drop them in. You know, I see I see how things go, and I think that that tends to work work pretty well. All right, let's roll another one. Seven, an Ori. I was hoping I would roll Ori. I was just thinking, like, ooh, Ori looks cool. Uh, it is a 20 and 17. A gravity-defying, smoking, primate Ori. What is pr primate? I'm going to try a different one for that. That, that doesn't, I don't, that, that's not sparking joy. A spectral, now we're talking. Kind of already got that, like the holographic sphere of the world during the fourth age. I already have that one, but this could be kind of, maybe maybe it shows greater. I can learn more stuff. Seven. I think we'll do like eight of these. We don't have to do a full 10. We're running out of time. 17, a brain in a jar. 12, ethereal. Ethereal shattered. 18, reptilian. An ethereal shattered reptilian brain in a jar. Pretty cool. I tell you, my little table here is working well. Dissector. An acidic encapsulated. I already had, we're gonna roll again because I already had a holographic dissector. I forgot my other words already. What was it? Well, we're rolling again. Nine and 16. Uh, luminescent leaking. Luminescent leaking holographic dissector. Pretty cool. I think we're gonna stick with eight. I'm I'm happy with eight. I might, you know I, I could just roll these all day. Is that giving me stuff here? So like the the interesting thing is I'm I'm randomly generating locations. We'll do two more. What the hell? 
I, what I need is 4d20. So I have 16 and 18. Uh, a monument. A glowing monument. A glowing, monstrous, cybernetic monument. Oh, perfect, right? Is it too early to show the fourth emperor? Because that one sounds like a statue of the fourth emperor. Sure does. 20 megalith. Four, three, and 18. Four. Frozen. A frozen nano constructed reptilian. I keep getting reptilian. Frozen constructed. Fro frozen nano constructed machine megalith. That could be the way home. Fourth Emperor is a monster. So just, yeah, and in, in his own world. Uh, and yeah. In his weird twisted dimension, he's actually very attractive. You know, not like a giant metal skull with a tapeworm at all. So I've got the location and is there like, so as I'm running this, is there like elements of access control? Probably, right? Are there, are any particular, are there any particular creatures that I want to throw in? Or am I going to randomly roll for these creatures? I think I might just randomly roll. You know, that, that probably works. I don't know how far they'll get. Right. And I don't want to overdo it because I don't want them to feel like we're not making, we're not getting anywhere. You want them to learn stuff. They can pick up ciphers, right? They can pick up stuff. You know, that, that can happen. What are these node themes? Nearly any present creature could be present as a data form in a frame. This table provides random inspiration taken from creatures in this book. But I may just grab like the third bestiary and roll. Let's do it. Let's just do a couple. I don't need a lot, but I need at least a couple. That'll give me an idea. So let's go to the Numenera. Pop open a new window here. Numenera. And we're going to go with the Bestiary 3. And that's because I think the Bestiary 3 includes random tables. Wandering in mountains. Fringes of civilization. Trouble in town. There was a book, which book had the random tables that included all of the, one thing is like, I have to get to know my tools better, <laughs> right? There's so much stuff. It's easy to get lost and uh, roll any die. All right. So let's, let's try this. Let's see. We'll just, let's do like a creature here. So I rolled an even, so I'm going to use table A. I'm going to roll a D100 and I get a 40. Uh, a 40 is a cypherid. Is the cypherid in this book? How do I know what book a cypherid is in? <laughs> it looks like it's in the bestiary too. There it is. Hey, that looks good. Cypherids. Automatons essentially that animate accumulation of ciphers. So we will, let's see. This is bestiary two, page 40. Oh, uh, nobody can see this, but yeah, I found, I found a cypherid. These are probably workers who keep up they're probably made of nanites themselves right kind maybe kind of like they're they're what are those things called uh they're demons who keep up the construct who keep up the node in the spear in the canister right that could be that could be important i don't know how you're supposed to tell understanding the listings but like they give you random tables Oh, I get it. Yeah, so Cypherid has a star. That's Bestiary 2. 
But like this table's in level order and this one doesn't have that list. Let's roll again. So we're gonna roll D6 plus D100. Even again, number is 12. Bandits. Oh. Bandit is in uh, Numenera Discovery. There's a lot of bandits. Where's the monsters? I kind of like the idea of like bandits who are trapped. This looks like the adventures. I think I've passed up. Yeah. Books are so big. Where's those monsters? I know this is riveting. There we go. Yay, bandit. Page 246 of Discovery. They are bandits lost and captured in the data sphere through ingestion of nanites. Page 246. I think... Am I am I ready? I don't feel even close to ready. A lot of stuff to try to get together. McKenna is somebody they're going to meet. So they're going to meet, let's get some NPCs. McKenna and Terrence. Oh, those are some NPCs. Now, there's kind of a lot to figure out. And probably we'll see how far things get today. It's a little bit of trouble when I'm doing like a homebrew campaign in a system I am not familiar with. It takes a little takes a little longer than the, the normal amount of time, right? I think. But hopefully I have enough to at least cover the beginning of this game, this session, and then I can fill things out when I have a better idea of how things go, like what kinds of information they need and you know, where this is headed and stuff like that. There's a lot of there's a lot of like little tricky bits in here. But in any case, I think we have done all of the damage we can do today. I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me today. I hope it was interesting to go through the prep steps and look at what it's like to prep Numenera. We will see how things go and we will get together again next week and prep for the game then. So I wanna thank everybody for hanging out with me today in the chat. I wanna thank you for watching this video. If you enjoyed it, you can help me out by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter, supporting me directly on Patreon, picking up any of my books, or subscribing to my videos on YouTube. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play a role-playing game. Play, play an RPG. Take care, everybody.